You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I hope everyone is doing well. I have a real treat for us this week. I sat down with Jennifer Maxwell, who helped create the original Power Bar back in 1985. Yes, the Power Bar, which I think was one of the only, if not the only, energy bar for quite a few years. Anyway, Jennifer, who has a degree in food science and nutrition, and her husband, Brian, created the bar to help fuel their own endurance and running events. As everyone knows, it became a smashing success, and they were able to sell that to Nestle in the year 2000. And then life took a really hard turn for Jennifer when Brian suddenly died just a few years later, leaving her to find her way with six children to raise. There is so much I love about this conversation, but mostly how thoughtful and creative Jennifer is. When things are hard, like hitting the challenges of the menopause transition with literally a house full of children, she finds a way to work through it in sometimes unconventional ways, like becoming a jazz band drummer. She is a great athlete in her own right. She ran a 325 marathon when she was just 13. And she continues to run and pursue athletic goals today, now in her mid-50s. She also continues to create nutritional products for athletes. Her latest creation is the Jam Bar, an organic real food bar that is made from ancient grains and natural sweeteners. They also donate 50% of their profits to support music and active living programs. So it's just, it's an awesome thing that she continues to do and continues to give back to the community. And I really, really enjoyed uh, our conversation and Jennifer's spirit. You can learn more about her, her background, and everything Jambar at jambar.com. Okay, before we get into it, just a little note that after we recorded, Jennifer dropped me a line and said she wanted to make a correction about a statement she made during the interview. We get into a discussion about running and how she's adjusted her running over time to keep doing the distances and the durations she loves. She talks about the lessons she learned in the book, Running Until You're 100. In our interview, she credits Bob Cooper as the author. Bob is indeed a runner and prolific writer, but the book she references was actually written by Jeff Galloway, another longtime runner and writer. So she just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Okay, as usual, I'd like to remind everyone, if you like the show, you can find more content just like this at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and on Facebook. We have our private Hit Play, Not Pause Facebook group, where you can come in and join the conversations literally day and night. If you have ideas for the show, hit me up at hitplaynotpause at livefeisty.com. And thank you, as always, for the continued hearts, reviews, five-star ratings. Your support is making so much possible. Speaking of support, I just want to take a quick moment to thank Inside Tracker for their continued support of this show. I've been making some adjustments to optimize my LDL cholesterol based on the recommendations, and I'll be retesting in a few weeks and we'll see how it goes. But in general, I have really benefited from the knowledge and the suggestions that they offer. So 
Thanks, guys. Okay, speaking of sponsors, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. Like many of you, I try to eat well, train well, take the supplements I need, and track my recovery, sleep, and progress. So imagine my surprise when I found out I had elevated blood sugar, high cortisol, out-of-whack lipids, and was borderline anemic. Yeah, all while I was racing well and feeling actually pretty great. Turns out, all of my training stress was taking a hidden toll. How did I find out? Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is a service that analyzes your blood, DNA, lifestyle, and fitness trackers to provide you a personalized, science-based, trackable action plan on how to live, age, and perform better. Inside Tracker is simpler, cheaper, and more convenient than traditional blood tests, and their blood tests also include biomarkers that are key to performance that you don't get from traditional blood tests like ferritin and vitamin D. My favorite part? They don't just give you data, they provide you with nutrition and lifestyle tips to take action. And I've taken those actions myself and have been improving those markers and ultimately my health. So for a limited time, my friends at Inside Tracker are offering my listeners 25% off their entire store. So go to insidetracker.com slash feistymenopause to take advantage of that offer. Again, it's insidetracker.com slash Feisty menopause, I can tell you, it works. I am excited to announce that Noon has returned as a sponsor of Hit Play, Not Pause in 2022. I have been a huge fan of Noon hydration products for well over a decade. They have products for immunity, recovery, getting a good night's rest, you name it. And I absolutely swear by their podium series, especially the endurance product. Noon Endurance has simple ingredients and just the right blend of carbs and electrolytes to stay hydrated for long, hard events. So show your support and head on over to NoonLife.com. That's NoonLife, N-U-U-N-L-I-F-E, and use the code HITPLAY, all caps, one word, to get 30% off all of Noon's amazing products. Again, that's NoonLife.com and use the code HITPLAY, all caps, one word, to get an amazing 30% off today. As listeners of this show know, we talk about some pretty uncomfortable topics. So I am stoked to have a new sponsor on board, Bonafide, who is helping women find relief from a very uncomfortable topic, vaginal dryness. As estrogen declines, those delicate tissues can suffer making everything from riding a bike to having sex uncomfortable, if not outright painful. Bonafide is devoted to helping women find solutions to symptoms like this that are related to the menopausal transition. One product that I can tell you works like a charm is Reverie. It's an easy to use vaginal insert that rejuvenates vaginal tissue and replenishes your body's moisture so you get relief from itching and burning and also greater overall comfort and improved intimacy. A few of my guests have recommended it. I have tried it. It works. Bonafide also has a host of other products, including a new probiotic supplement that is formulated to promote a healthy vaginal microbiome. You can give Bonafide products a try today. There are no hormones and no prescription is required. You just get quick, real relief. To get 20% off your first purchase when you subscribe to any product, 
go to hellobonafide.com and use the promo code HITPLAY, all caps, all one word. That's hellobonafide.com, B-O-N-A-F-I-D-E, and the code is HITPLAY, all caps, all one word, for 20% off at checkout. And I'll also put a clickable link in the show notes. Check it out today. All right. Well, I am really excited uh, to talk to you. Our mutual friend, Ali Tetrick, who I understand that you sponsor, connected us. And I, you know, I, I have used power bars as I think everybody has on the planet, right? Um, who's in this endurance space for any amount of time, but I didn't really know the history of it. And it, it was interesting for me to sort of in preparation to talk to you to really dig into your own history in the sport. And uh, wow, you, you know, you've seen a lot, you have a background in, in nutrition and you're running yourself. So it's, uh, this, I'm looking forward to this conversation. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Celine. I'm really happy to be here. Cool. So I think let's talk a little bit first about your own athletic journey. Um, I read that you ran your first marathon at 13 and you did it in 325, which is kind of mind blowing. And I'm wondering, you know, like, what was that all about? And are you just a natural born runner? Okay. Yeah, that's a good question. What, like, what am I thinking? Right. Um, I started running when I was 13. I just, my mom was a runner Mm -hmm. and um, I lived out in Bolinas, a little beach town here in Northern California. Always been athletic, you know, play with the boys, loves a kickball and running around playing tag and making forts and all that kind of thing we did in the 70s. Mm-hmm. And um, I just really liked running. I was natural at it and had been going on some runs with my mom and this opportunity came up to take someone else's number for this marathon because they didn't race for some reason, said, hey, why don't you try it? So I took the number and I just want to see what happened. And I started running, and I just was able to run the whole thing. And, yeah, I ran 325. Um, I remember being, like, super, like, trashed. I mean, I was exhausted, obviously. It was not good for my body, but I was able to do it. (laughs) I think from that experience, I was like, wow, what did I just do? You know? Yeah, I would feel that way today. (laughs) (laughs) And And then I trained. I think, okay, well, it was kind of fun. And I trained and I actually ran 313 in the San Francisco Marathon in 1980. Um, so, I mean, no, it was 1979, actually. And so I was 14. And I ran three, three hours and 13 minutes. I think I was like 10th or 11th woman overall. So it was pretty impressive at that time. And then it just, that was too far. You know, I was too young, it was too hard on my body, and I wanted to run in high school. So um, that was the end of, of that kind of little hour or year and a half, two year marathoning for my little, my little self. You retired at 14 from marathoning. I know, I know. Yeah. I think it was just, it was more of like, well, let me see what I, what this is about. You know, I, I, I kind of live by the motto. I don't have a lot of fear. I've said that before in other podcasts and I didn't, and I didn't back then. I still don't. And um, I just really like to run and that was like, wow, that's pretty far, but, you know, I did that, right? I checked that. I think okay, I did that. That was, that was good. I don't have to do it again. <laughs> so where did you take it then? If you, if you decided that you didn't want to run that kind of distance? Um, I wanted to run in, like I said, I want to run in high school. So I started running and I really, really like trail running. That's my passion. I live here near Mount Town 
Mm-hmm. Um, so trail running is where it was at for me, being on the cross-country team, running pretty well in high school, cross-country, shorter distance, 5K, 10K was good. I ran some marath- half marathons, um, and I did some triathlons. So I wanted to mix it up. You know, I wanted to do the biking, swimming. I'm a pretty decent swimmer. Uh, mountain biking, of course, was born here in Marin County. So I used to ride to the top of Mount Town on my old clunker bike, right? I got the like, original mountain bike um, from the 80s, so that's pretty cool. And I just wanted to mix it up, you know? And, and I ran for a couple of years in college as well. So running just sort of took more of a, I guess, a diversified approach than just the intensity of marathon running. And then where does it intersect with what you ended up studying? Because, you, you know, you did end up working, I thought, under George Brooks, who has done a lot right. of pioneering research in lactate metabolism and formation. Yeah. And um, so I'm wondering, like, what, where that came in and then what, what you did with it professionally. So I ran, like I said, in high school, did it really well, decided to study. I was either going to be a math major hmm. at Cal Poly or study nutrition and food science at Cal. I decided to go to Cal, study nutrition and food science. And being an athlete, the food science part was really about human performance for me. I remember this was in the early 80s, mid-80s, when that was a really evolving field. Not a lot was known about nutritional science and how that applied to your, your performance as an athlete and as a human being. So I was just really intrigued by that and felt that the food component of how you fuel your body uh, is paramount to your performance and to your overall health. And so I took the angle of um, of that at Cal. Um, part of working with George Brooks was that performance component. I took some exercise physiology classes with him, and he had the lab there at, being below the uh, the gym. And I said, hey, you know, I'm really interested in, in learning more about your lactic acid metabolism theory. I actually have his book right here, still Exercise Physiology, Human Bioenergetics and Its Applications. Um, originally copyright 1984. So that was new, right? So this would have been 85, 86. So he just written his book with his lactate metabolism theories, which I think are, are still used today. And I just really enjoyed working with him. He's a brilliant mind. And you know, he would have athletes come in and get on the treadmill and you would do oxidative metabolism, you would do your, your CO2 max, how much oxygen your body can uptake when you're exercising. So he was a pioneer, and I just liked working with him. And what did you take from that? Like, what were you, how were you fueling yourself, you know, at, at, in the beginning? You know, did you even think about it as fuel? And like, where, where did, when did you start thinking about it? Right, how did that morph into the power bar, right? Because yeah. It was all in that same year, two years, in the mid-80s, met Brian, and um, we embarked on this project. And that's your eight. husband? Your that's my late husband. So Brian yeah. and I created Power Bar, mm-hmm. incorporated the company in 1985. So I was at Cal getting my degree. I graduated in 88. So um, we worked together. Part of that was my interest in sports nutrition, performance, um, combining that with Brian's interest in sports nutrition and performance. And he was an Olympic athlete. So he had a need of having this easy to digest athletic energy food that, remember, didn't exist on the market. I mean, we pioneered a whole industry of sports nutrition 
Totally. Yeah. That's what were you eating? What were you eating before that? And what was he eating before that? I don't, I'm trying to even remember what people ate. I know. Like, I mean, did we eat? Right? Did we? Eat? That's a good know. question. Did we? Toast. Eat? You know, maybe some dry toast and maybe some cereal or you know this kind yeah. of thing. I know for for Brian and for many other athletes, it was the digestibility was the issue. Because if you got an upset stomach with maybe too much fat or too hard to digest, too heavy, you know, it impairs your performance. So you want that was the the impetus of the Power Bar project was to find a, a food source that's easy to digest and portable and tastes good and you know more comprehensive with nutrition. So that was um, how we started the project, the Power Bar. And. What went what went into that as far as like it was all about the digestibility and just keeping it yeah. simple? Yeah. Yeah, it was a digestibility and not all about that. We also had there was some research into um, amino acid metabolism. Hmm. Remember, if you look at how protein is utilized for energy, it's not the best energy source in terms of during an athletic event. You know, protein's harder to die, to break down as composed as opposed to um, carbohydrates, either simple or complex. And there are specific amino acids that are used uh, more um, efficiently in athletic context. Those are your branched-chain amino acids. Yep. So we put the branched-chain amino acids in the original power bar. You are ahead of your time. Yeah. Because those are so hot right now. (laughs) Yeah. We put those in the original power bar for years and years until it became, well, they're expensive or small, but it became (laughs) like sort of, Consumers stopped caring about that as much, right? As the product got more into the, the mainstream market, people didn't really highlight, oh, branched-chain amino acids, that's what's giving me the edge with the power bar. You know, they're not in there now. I don't remember the exact time frame that we t- stopped using them, but that we did include that in, in the product in the early days. Also looking at the ratio of complex to simple carbs, you know, the amount of fiber in the product, the soluble fiber, and um, low fat. You know, those were the parameters that we were looking at when, with the formulation. Mm-hmm. And then the 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 evolution of that I'm interested in with with you because it like I feel like you're evolving and along with what you're presenting to the world is evolving. You know, like you have your jam bars now, mm-hmm. which don't really resemble in any way that I can see the the power mm-hmm. bar. You know, the power bar it reminds me of so much of that time that was very almost astronaut sort of food looking, you know, a lot of stuff was very, you know, that kind of, it didn't resemble what you would, what would you would see as food and the jam bar very much does. So I'm wondering like what your own, how that, how that evolution has happened in yourself. Okay. It's interesting you say that because actually jam bar does resemble power bar quite a bit. Does it? <laughs> in it yeah. In its base. So okay. if you look at the base of a jam bar, it's still grain-based, gluten-free okay. grain-based, right, which is the oat bran. So oat bran is a soluble fiber mm-hmm. that forms your gel matrix, how things are held together in the product. Okay. Power bar is the same way. Now, all the ingredients aren't the same, but the theory, the base of the bar being gluten-free grain-based is the same. Okay. okay. Particularly with the malt, nut, and chocolate. So originally malt, nut, and chocolate were the first two power bars, flavors. And jam bar, we have malt, nut, and chocolate, <laughs> and they're very similar. Yeah. They, now, now I think you're referring to the, the vegan sources we have, the, the mango and the jazzleberry. Yeah. Fruit, more mm-hmm. articulate, bigger pieces, that kind of thing. 
and they're vegan and it's using a sunflower protein, those are diverging a bit away from the traditional power bar formulation, but they're still gluten-free grain-based with the oat bran. Okay. As opposed to some of the products on the market might be like a date, like a dried fruit base, right? Mm -hmm. And I looked at that and I don't, I didn't want to do that because to me it's too sweet. Even though it's not quote added sugar using dates, it's just, if that's your number one ingredient, there's just a lot of dates, right? So that's, to me, it's too sweet. I, I, I didn't want to have the, the, uh, the product based on, on dried fruit in that um, quantity. So that's why I stayed with the grain-based um, number one ingredient. Gotcha. Um, the other major difference between um, the, the application then in terms of how things are held together and now with Jambar is the types of um, sweeteners. So what's available as sweeteners now is very different from when Power Bar was developed. For me, what was important is to use a natural sweetener, something that exists in nature. I'm very much into feeling the earth, being closer to nature, understanding what you're eating, um, having it actually be a real sweetener as, as opposed to converted from a starch sweetener. So I wanted to go with maple syrup, very expensive, delicious sweetener, right? So that's the main sweetener in a jam bar, as opposed to some of the other syrups that would be in other products. And that was in Power Bar at that time as well. So the more natural sweeteners are more available now than back in the 80s. Um, and uh, other protein sources, you know, like I said, we used the, the sunflower protein. That wasn't available back then. Gotcha. Yeah, the evolution sense. of food science has definitely improved. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a good way. And um, the grains. I, you know, I look yeah. at different grains. I'm using some quinoa and some sorghum in addition to the oat bran. I got the brown rice. So the, the grains are giving us some, some fiber and some protein as well in the jam bar. Yeah. So, so taking this to, to sort of like our audience, you know, and, and your own experience, like a lot of things, you know, we talk about it on the show all the time, all the things that happen within us as we go through this menopausal transition, right? You know, we, um, we can become a bit more carb sensitive, a little more insulin resistant. We need more protein. Our gut biome is disrupted. There's a yeah. lot that can happen. Um, did you personally, you know, through your own journey, notice any shifts as you've gone through your own transition? And do you have thoughts of, um, for active women, you know, how they can fuel their efforts during this time? Yeah, those are great questions. And I think a lot of your listeners are thinking about those, those issues as we, as we get older. You mentioned the sensitivity mm -hmm. to sugar. And what I, what I say from my education, my experience is I, I'm not sugar phobic. I'm sugar conscious, right? Which means that I educate myself on what I'm eating and what type of sugar is it? Where does it come from? And do I like it, right? Mm. Because if you're going to eat sugar, you want it to taste good, right? <laughs> you want to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, it's like, well, I want the real shebang, right? I don't want to eat something that's sweet when I know that, well, hmm, I kind of need to limit this <laughs> unless I'm going to go do a, you know, a three-hour bike ride. Um, you can get away with a little more sugar if you're super athletic. That tends to be true, but because you're burning it off, right? Right. It's like a car engine. That's just burning off that gas and you're just burning your fuel off as opposed to being less active. You need to be a little more conscious about your sugar intake. But I just think, you know, you need to be aware of the sugar you're eating. Um, and there is some sensitivity, carb sensitivity, which is a, probably a bigger issue 
and you can go into. But I just want the, the sugars that I'm eating to, to be enjoyable to me and be closer to nature. Um, I think when I was younger, I could I could eat more food. I could eat more carbs. I could eat more sugar without really having to think about it because my metabolism was higher. You know, I was able to exercise more because yeah. I was stronger and younger, right? And as I've gotten older, um, recovery time is more, right? It's hard for me to run back-to-back days without being pretty tired. So it's really just moderating what I'm doing and realizing that I can't do what I did even 10, 15 years ago, right? I'm mid-50s and um, doesn't mean I can't perform really well and, and be super fit. I can. I think I, I, I aim to do that. But I have to um, moderate my expectations of myself and realize that I have what what feels good to me today is for today, and I've adjusted to those expectations. Right, and you are, if I'm hearing you correctly, sort of fueling yourself in appropriately for what you're doing now, as far as whatever your running volume looks like now. Right, and that's um, in terms of carbs if you ask specifically about carbs yeah i think that i have to be more conscious of those carbs i can't eat in, as indiscriminately as i would have maybe 15 20 years ago right i have to make them count more yeah not that i count the number of grams right no i know i understand what you're saying yeah i think the recommended amount of like quote added sugar is somewhere around 25 grams for a woman that's exactly right and which is not very much um mm-hmm. so it's like you can't be drinking soda you know can't really be eating dessert, <laughs> except for, you know, I always have the mantra, you should eat what you like. And if you do eat that big piece of chocolate cake, enjoy it. And realize, well, the next day or two, you should really kind of limit sugars then if you're going to eat that much in that one day. You know what I mean? The, the avoidance the avoidance mentality, I don't think it, I think it could backfire. Yeah. Um, unless you really have an issue to avoid it, which some people do. I think there's room to enjoy those indulgences, but just be aware of really moderation and, um, and education. Right. Yeah. How much are you running these days per week? What is your training? Um, I'm running about 20 to 25 miles a week. Okay. Yeah. Whereas I would say 20 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I was running more like 45. Right. But what I've, what I've discovered, a couple things I've discovered (laughs) is I like to do the run walk. Mm-hmm. Um, approach sometimes. So I start off walking, let my body warm up, and then start running. And depending on how I'm feeling on a certain day, I really like running fast. And so I'd rather go and run short spurts of 200 yards or 800 yards, half mile, whatever it is, pretty hard with effort, and then slow down for a while. And do that for like four miles, five miles, you know, on a, on a day that I want to put out a lot of effort, whatever that is, 45 minutes. That's kind of my favorite go-to program is warm up slowly, give it a good effort, and then warm down. Um, if I'm going to go and go out for a longer run, I'll probably walk more of it, you know, so I can be out for an hour, hour and a half, and I'll just walk more of it than running it. Hmm. And I figured that makes my body perform better. Um, it's more enjoyable to me, and I, I don't hurt. I'm not achy afterwards. Yeah, I like that. Yeah. yeah, it took me. It took me a long time to kind of figure that out. Yeah, no, but that, yeah, I like that. It just allows you, like you're saying, to be out there as long as you want to be. You know. In fact, I, I read a book, "How to Run Till You're 100." 
I think Bob Cooper wrote this book. And he recommends this walk-run program where he, he has it more formulaic, where you, you start off walking and you get really disciplined. You're, you're going to walk for five minutes and you're going to run for 10. You know, then you're going to walk for five minutes and you're going to run for 10, whatever it is, right? It's breakdown depending on your age and your fitness level. And it's how to stay injury-free. It's like, wow, this is really working for me. And I, and I always thought, oh, walking, how ridiculous. I'm on a run. Why am I going to start walking, right? <laughs> I started, and then I bought into it. I realized, hey, there's something to this because it's making me, number one, run better and enjoy it more. And my fitness level was actually higher. Yeah. Well, yeah. That's, that's really interesting. And, and it's, um, you know, it, it's always interesting to me. Like I have a lot of friends who do ultras. And they spend a lot of time walking. <laughs> you know, they spend, yeah. you know, they how they're able to go that far. <laughs> exactly. We're going to go 100 miles. Yeah, there is, a, there is quite a bit of walking involved in the ultra running experience from, from yeah. what I've seen. But that's like good. I, it's, yeah. yeah. If I'm going to go and do more of a speed thing, I'll go three miles. I won't walk. And I'll be out running fast, but I'm only going three or four miles. Right, right. Yeah. If you've been listening to this show for any amount of time, You've heard me and many of my guests talk about how the hormonal changes that come during menopause can lead to insulin resistance and carbohydrate sensitivity. That all means that it's harder to keep your blood sugar at healthy levels. And unchecked blood sugar makes it hard to manage your weight and body composition and can pave the way for diseases like diabetes and heart disease. Plus, optimizing your blood sugar is also important for exercise performance and recovery. The problem is, it's really hard to know what your blood sugar is doing at any given time. Until now. With a continuous glucose monitor, or CGM, which is just a quarter-sized device that you wear on your arm, you can see your blood sugar in real time and adjust your exercise, nutrition, and lifestyle to help optimize it. I have been testing CGM technology for the better part of a year, and I have learned a ton about how my pre-race meals impact my performance, how to fuel myself during exercise and recover afterwards, how poor sleep and stress really negatively impact my blood sugar levels, and how sitting down to a relaxed meal, no matter what I'm eating, is so much better for my blood sugar than wolfing down even a healthy meal on the go. I've come to believe that everyone could benefit greatly from having these insights, so I am super excited to announce that NutriSense CGM program has come on as a hip play, not pause sponsor in 2022. With the NutriSense CGM program, you get the sensors and you get professional support to help you dial in the diet, exercise, and behaviors that work particularly for you. Each CGM lasts 14 days and each subscription plan includes one month of free support from a registered dietitian. And I really love that. They were there to answer questions before I even thought to ask them. And if you're already knowledgeable in this space, they can provide more advanced tips and recommendations so you can find what works for you. The CGM program also comes with a super easy to use app, which helps you track your data, understand your glucose trends, log your meals, see your macros breakdown, and much more. The app also gives you an overall score for each of your meals based on your personal body's response. NutriSense also provides a private Facebook group where you can go in and share your experiences and find support from other members. It's all awesome, seriously. And if you're worried about putting on a CGM sensor because it is a little fine needle that goes into your arm, don't. 
Seriously, the first time I put one on, I braced myself for what I figured would feel like a shot. It was more like someone flicked my arm with their finger. Totally painless. So don't let that get in your way. You can take advantage of all of this. Get these insights right now by going over to Nutrisense.io slash HitPlay and use the code HitPlay, all caps, one word, for $30 off any subscription to the CGM program. Again, that's Nutrisense.io slash HitPlay. Use the code HitPlay, all caps, one word, and get $30 off any subscription to the CGM program. I'll put all of that in the show notes. Check it out today. I've got an exciting announcement from our sponsor, Prevenex. Their Joint Health Plus product is back in stock. They got hit by so many of the issues that many companies are facing today, supply chains and labor shortages, and they also weren't willing to cut corners on their testing protocols. So it took longer than they would have liked to get it back in the store, but it is there. As anyone who has listened to me for more than three seconds knows, I love this stuff. I have mobility in my toe joint again. It doesn't wake me up in the night. It doesn't hurt when I'm running. It's amazing. And I've heard from many of you who are reporting the same, including one woman who wrote, I was skeptical, but this really works. I train daily, heavy lifting. My fingers, toes, ankles, elbows were achy. After two weeks, I can't feel any of that. It's remarkable. I agree. And I dug into the ingredients and they're legit. Eggshell membrane, which contains collagen and glucosamine, chondroitin, and hyaluronic acid, has shown significant benefits in early research. And the other ingredient, Boswellia serrata extract, was found to be even more effective than glucosamine in some studies, according to examine.com. So head on over to Prevenix.com and check it out. Listeners of this show can get 15% off their first-time purchase using the code HITPLAY all caps, one word, at checkout. Again, go to Prevenex.com, that's P-R-E-V-I-N-E-X.com, and use the code HITPLAY, all caps, one word, at checkout for 15% off your first purchase. If you don't like it, the company offers a 100% money-back guarantee on all their products within 30 days, no questions asked. Again, just use the code HITPLAY, one word, all caps, at checkout for 15% off your first-time purchase at Prevenex.com. So so speaking of sort of changing it up and, and where midlife meets menopause and, and having to sort of adjust, um, you know, we talk about this on the show a lot too, that there is this benefit of sort of looking more inquisitively at things and um, taking another path even because this all can be kind of a seismic event. And you had a really seismic event earlier in your own life when you were about 40, right? Like, yeah, I was 39. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can you, can you talk about, can you talk about that a little bit for us? Sure. Yeah. So I mentioned my late husband, Brian, so mm-hmm. we developed power bar together. I met Brian in college and I'm 12 years younger than him. And mm-hmm. so you know, we started dating and created this company together, created a family together, sold the company in 2000, and raising our kids, Brian was involved with other businesses. He was born with a congenital heart defect, and he knew about it, but waited too long for a valve replacement. And um, he passed away, got on a run, and it was it was completely devastating, right? It just... 
even though we knew that you, know, you just don't think that's going to happen, right? He's fit. He's an athlete. Why would this happen? You know, it just, it was really devastating. And um, my youngest child, so I have six children. And you know, our, our youngest child was seven months old to the day. So it was, you know, Brian passing and having these children and having taken on this level of responsibility. Like, <laughs> this is, um, this is beyond human. Like, how am I going to do this? You know, what, what, how am I going to do this? How did you remember. do it? Well, part of it is like, I have amnesia. I, seriously, I don't even remember the first 18 months. I had my, my friends and family, you know, I had my uncle come out. My mom's here local, helped out a lot. I had a lot of, you know, I had some, some babysitters and people that were helping me. Um, we came together as a family, you know, because there's the, the hurt, there's the ache, there's the denial, there's the pain. Um, that your kids are trauma. going through too. I mean, you have six and some are very young, but like, yeah, what was the age range of, there? There's seven months. So yeah, Andrew was seven months. Alex was 14, turning 14. So Brian passed away March 19th, 2003. Alex turned 14 in June. Um, it was really tough. Like I said, I mean, I, I just, um, I had to get through it. I didn't have a choice, right? What, what choice you have? Yeah. I had to get through it. I had to make, I had to keep the family together, keep myself together be able to be there for my kids, you know, it was all about my kids. And of course I had to grow as an individual, right? You can't give your kids, give yourself to your kids completely. What, what, what are you going to have for yourself? You can turn into a shell. So mm -hmm. I had to, I had to figure that out. And, um, luckily I, I did have help, you know, um, but just the, the magnitude of the responsibility of all of a sudden the financial responsibility, the, all these different personalities of these children, different parts and pieces of my life. Um, luckily, I did have some help. First year, a couple of years were very, very difficult. Um, I think as I searched for a new meaning in how to identify myself, right? I had to, I'd always been Brian and Jennifer Maxwell. This was how I identified myself, was through my husband in a way. Not completely, but in a way, we were a team, we were a unit. We created a company together. I was really young when I met him. I was barely 20, right? So it was always like we were a unit. We were inseparable. But we had a synergy together. We had a very, very um, amazing relationship. And so all of a sudden, I'm cast out, and I was like, I've lost half of my body. I had to, like, re-identify myself, figure out what part of myself do I want to express, Right, I've, uh, motherhood, of course, is huge to me, and I had that. But what else was I going to develop in myself that allowed me to move forward without Brian? And what was that? That was, that was a question. It came to me from the stars, and it was music. Yeah. How did how did it how did music come to you? It just it just came. I don't know. I mean, just um, the water. <laughs> well. I'd gone to, um, I'd always been kind of musical. Yeah, I played a little bit of piano, a little bit of flute as a child. I always loved music, you know, but I was not really a musician. Went to a lot of concerts. I mean, part of it was I just went to a lot of concerts, was drawn to the music, I think, as, as a release. become It became from a release to like a therapy. I was drawn to the, to the drums. 
I think that was part of the athletic nature of the drumming, the pulse, the beat, the tempo, the cadence, all of that with drumming. Came through the running and the drumming together. Um, seemed to be a natural fit. And in 2007, I decided I wanted to I wanted to take up the drums and see if I could learn how to be a musician, see if I could learn the instrument. So it took, uh, so Brian passed away in 2003, so it was just a couple of few years. And the music just was transformative to me. Um, first of all, it was a way for me to acquire a new skill through um, study, through practice, through learning something new that I I think I could understand. Again, I was going to be a math major, right? So music's very mathematical. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, I can, I can, I can figure this out. I can figure this out. It was hard. I mean, the first couple of years, I remember crying at the drum lessons because I'm like, this is so darn hard. And it was. It really was to learn something new when you're 40. Um, Did you have a whole set? I'm like curious what that yeah. looks like. When you buy a whole drum set, and then you're I dropped, like, how, I how much do you practice? Set. I brought the whole set found a teacher and took classes and I have a whole set and I didn't even know the names of the drums, but <laughs> within the first year, you know, you got that down and you learn your basics, right? You learn, I, I taught, I learned how to read music, um, uh, basic beats. And I practiced in the beginning a lot, I would say two to three hours a day, wow. right? So yeah, I was doing the kids and I'd be doing music. That was pretty much it <laughs> and running, you know, but I, I practice a couple hours a day. You know, I break it up, an hour here, an hour and a half there, and that kind of thing. Um, but it was transformative. I mean, it really helped me in the beginning to find peace and calm and put my mind into this endeavor, which was to learn how to play the drums. And it was a daily thing. Yeah. And then it became a social thing because then I met other people, took classes, um, workshops, I joined the jazz school. I decided I really liked jazz. Um, you know, that became social, you know, and I was playing with, with groups eventually. After about five or six years, I could play in some, some basic groups. I wasn't particularly good yet. It took about 10 years to get good. Wow. <laughs> but, yeah, and, and I just persevered. And, you know, it, it's accumulative. It's like um, you start off at a certain level, and getting past that threshold of being competent is really hard and once you get past that which for me took about five years every incremental improvement became easier and easier and easier did you was there a moment where you felt like you had crossed that line you know what i mean like from crying to being like i think i can do this i think so yeah it depends on again how much you're expecting out of yourself i mean do i expect what level do i want to play at you know um do i want to just you know, be a jam band and do it if I want, or do I want to play at a certain level where I could perform, right? I can play in public, right? So it depends. I wanted to play in public, play in public. Um, so it took me some times of embarrassment of not performing as well as I wanted. You know, God, that sucks. But then you, you you get over it. You go to the next thing. It's like you don't you don't harangue yourself over a mistake you made. You just keep moving forward. And I did Is that. it obvious as a drummer when you're when you're the drummer in the band that you've messed up? Uh probably more to, more to yourself than other yeah. people. But yes, when you're first learning, oh, definitely. Yeah, and you have to be humble and, and have humility and realize, well, you know what, you're learning. And as long as your audience isn't too critical, you know, it's, usually, <laughs> it's usually small things, but 
it's just part of learning. You know, you have to keep keep faith in yourself that you're going to keep improving, right? You're going to keep improving and find yourself some some mentors and people that you can learn from and and um, aspire to learn some of their knowledge and then you get better. Yeah. And you're in two bands now. I'm in two bands now. Yeah, I play at the CJC, which is the California Jazz Conservatory. I've been there over ten years. Um, I'm in a you know a community adult ensemble, and we're pretty competent. You know, we, we do play live, and we, we take our music pretty seriously. You know, we're not pros, but we can we can play a, you know a cafe gig. We can play a live gig for a hundred people. I mean, we're you know we're we're pretty good. Right? We're enjoyable to listen to. Put it that way. <laughs> and then I play in another band. It's called Good Karma. Hmm. And it's based in Marin. We actually have a gig this Saturday. And um, similar, but we play some originals. So it's not just... What kind of music? Jazz. Oh, it's jazz. It's, it's some jazz. We'll be some jazz covers and some original more funk and Latin. Yeah, the uh, pianist in the group writes, composes music. He's a music teacher. And um, so we have about six or seven originals mixed in with some covers. And um, yeah, we play... I say at least once a month. So it's a lot of fun. It's, it becomes a social thing and you support each other. Definitely. Odd question, but was there any specific training you did to be, to, for the endurance of drumming? Do your arms, get, I guess I'm asking, do your arms get tired? You're totally right. I remember it's again, in the beginning, I would be like, I'm getting a little injuries here and there, right? Like my wrist feels a little tight and my, yeah forearm because you do develop these these muscles after such repetitive uh fine tune of the mm. drumstick right mm. you, you can um it's all about tension release so like any kind of repetitive motion uh, particularly with with music and instruments the drumsticks you want to have a fluidity and if you're playing well you're going to be really light like those sticks are super light in your hands there's no tension there's no stress there's no strain Takes years to get to that level of control of the sticks through stick exercises. So I'll do exercises out of workbooks where you're doing repetitive um, stick exercises, singles, doubles, triplets, you know, all that type of thing. Rudiments, a lot of rudiments in drumming. Like, you know, even big bands, you get a lot of rudiments in, in core drumming, march drumming. Um, you just do years and years of that, it becomes easier. And you don't have that soreness anymore. But right. I definitely have muscles on my forearms that um, are kind of, you know, unique to drummers. That's so interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I was wondering, like, you know, sometimes you have to do exercises for the exercises you do. So I'm like, I bet drumming yeah. has has an element of that to it. I would say, too, just the, um, that Zen calmness is really important for music. Yeah. Because if you're straining stress too intense, it, you don't, it doesn't help the music to be like that. Um, the more you can relax, the better. It took me a long time to realize that. I think I was way too intense the first 10 years. Um, it took me a while to learn how to relax. I'm so intrigued by this because I've always, I've always actually had a thing for drumming. Like I've played oh. bits of instruments here and there, but never the drums. And I'm, I always look at drummers because I think it's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Um and as you're talking, I keep thinking, like, this sounds like such a good thing for menopausal women on so yeah. many levels, right? Maybe because, it like, is. 
you can take out some of that, like whatever your angst is, but it's also Zen. Yeah. And I don't know, there's something about this that's really captivating me at the moment. Maybe you're right. I didn't look at it in terms of menopausal because I wasn't in menopause when I started the drums. I was but you probably went through some of that 40. transition while you. Oh, were- I did. I mean, my menopausal transition was extremely difficult. Oh, well, tell me a little bit about that. (laughs) We're going to talk about that. It was extremely difficult for me. I mean, there were two things that made it difficult. Um, And I don't know if because I had six kids, it was harder. Um, I mean, I was mothering teenagers, right? That is a huge, huge undertaking. No matter what age you are, that is a huge undertaking. The stresses that they're going through at the same time, my body's transitioning. My hormones are going down. I can feel my muscle strength is going down, my aerobic capacity is going down, my hormones are all over the place, my moods, whatever it is. It was really tough. And I say it's tough because it lasted so long for me. How long do you think that lasted? It was like eight years. Yeah. It was a long, long, long time. It wasn't just a couple of years. And sometimes certain months would be better than others, but it just kept going on forever. Um, Sleep disturbances were really severe. You know, I would, I just couldn't sleep. My mind would wake up, jolt in the middle of the night. Not really night sweats, but this jolt of energy in the middle of the night. That energy jolt was very disturbing. I had that. Heart rhythm irregularities, very disturbing. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of mood problems. It's really the sleep and then um, reduction in exercise capacity was noticeable. Yeah. And just like, wow, you know, I'm not getting my, I'm training, but I'm not getting any better. This is kind of depressing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, but the, the stresses with my kids um, was pretty severe to have the, the two things together. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to guess the answer is no, but were you able to, to express to them at all what was you were going through or you just kept that? Mm. To your- I don't think we do talk um, to our kids that much about it, right? Like I didn't really, yeah. I didn't really I with my daughter. No. I mean, I was, you know, I, I was dating a guy at that time too. So that helped in a way, you know, because I had support. I was in a, in a nice relationship for over 10 years, um, which I'm not in anymore. But uh, so that I had support with, with my boyfriend at the time. But my kids, I didn't want to bother them with my menopausal things. It did, you know, it was more like I just needed to be able to to give them a hug, for them to give me a hug and know that I was still important in their life. You know, and and I knew that they they were going through a lot of pain and suffering, losing their dad, and I was going through pain and suffering too. But it's different. It's a different thing losing your parent as opposed to losing your spouse. And I had to be there for them, but it was, and I knew they would. They would come out of, of I was hopeful anyway, that they would come out of, of their difficulties. And, and it, they did. It just took kind of a long time. But um, you know, life isn't easy for anybody. It really isn't easy for anybody. You could look at someone and think, oh, they have everything. And it's like, no, you don't see the pain and suffering and that they, that they deal with every night and every morning. You don't see it. So, but um, yeah, menopause is hard for me. And I didn't think it would be because I'm super healthy. Bit, right? How could I? How could I feel this bad? <laughs> now the running. I hear that a lot. <laughs> Celine, the running was a savior. Running and drumming were a savior for me. Um, running gave me a bit of myself, so at least I could count on the fact that I would go on a run. And even though I couldn't run as far as fast or feel as good, 
I still would be out there on the trails or maybe on the road or whatever sometimes. Oh, a piece of myself. Oh, this is so great to be able to breathe and feel this, this peace and harmony and this wellness of myself being out there. And yeah. that really helped. And then the drumming gave me that, that mission. Like, well, I'm going to learn the drums. It gave me something to really focus on. So the two things together was very helpful. Yeah, that's really, I love that. I, I, I think that there's a lot to be taken from that. And I'm just, now I'm thinking about learning the drums. <laughs> I don't know, because it does seem like such a really, it mm -hmm. is good to, especially like you're saying, when you have, when you have something that you've done for such a long time and you have this uh, rear view, com rear view mirror comparison, right? Like I'm not as fast as I was and I'm not, you know, like you can see there's a, a bit of a decline in whatever your performance is. It's great to, to start an upward trajectory in something else, right? That's like, right. Yeah, yeah, what you did with the drums, you totally. know? Right. Cause as an athlete all your life, you, you train and you work hard and you have your, your schedules and your regimen and your focus on racing or whatever it is. Right. And you get to the point where your improvement isn't going to be there anymore. And you have to be okay with that. I mean, you can improve maybe by running longer, but the reality is your body's not getting stronger. Your body's getting weaker. <laughs> That's just part of aging. And it can be very difficult to accept that. But with music or maybe art or whatever it is, you can keep getting better as you age, you know, yeah. you can get better. And so that's really uplifting to, to take on something in the second half of your life that you're actually going to get better at when you put the effort in, you're going to get better at it instead of going downhill. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There, yeah there, there's definitely something to be said for that. Yeah. And I, and I love what you said about, it's still a piece of you. I feel that way about my bike. I was just actually, when you were talking, it made me think of today, you know, I went out for a ride before we talked and it still just feels like that piece of me you know even yeah. though like I'm not as fast up the same hills as I you know and that you know with time that is just inevitable for everybody right but yeah. it's still I'm still in the sun in the air mm -hmm. and the feeling of flying down the hill like all of that is still it, that's it's still what I'm craving from that activity it's the true you right it's yeah thank you. you you want yeah. you want a piece of that but it's the true you and sometimes it just what the meaning of that is but it's 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 still there yeah. That's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Well, Jen, this has been a really wonderful conversation on many levels. Is is there anything that we haven't covered that you thought that you'd like to share? Um I think a little bit about just as you go into through menopause, right? And you go into the second half of your life, looking at what are some things you can do to either reinvent yourself or expand on who you are as a woman, right? And that's what I did with Jambar by deciding to start this business, create the product, start the business. Um, the product is great, but a big part of the company of Jambar is giving back to community. And I think as women, we're used to being the caretaker, we're used to caring for people, it's time to care for ourselves. Um, but what I would, what I think about is, the second half of my life, we have so much wisdom that we've accumulated for the first half. And it's like, how do you take that wisdom and that experience and apply that in different areas of your life? Whether it's 
participating in a company, starting a company or being part of a company. A podcast. Um, <laughs> a podcast, <laughs> business, um, you know, volunteering, mm-hmm. learning a new skill, expressing a craft that you did maybe when you were younger that you really want to do a full-fledged now that you have more time. Mm-hmm. And you have this wisdom that you've accumulated from 50 years of being on the planet. Um, and it becomes more about connectivity. When I think about this wisdom at, at this stage of my life, it's really how do I connect with people in a meaningful way? Because your, your, your life takes on and you really want meaning. And the meaning comes through connectivity. It comes from person to person. You know, there's different ways of connecting, right? Social media and on digital and stuff. And that's great for some people. Some people it doesn't work and they want that person to person connectivity through, you know, different means. And, and I think that's um, kind of a very fulfilling part of my life. Yeah. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I totally, I a hundred percent, a hundred percent agree with that. Like, I feel like, you know, there is definitely some loss over time you know when you talk about speed and those those kind of things that you you know we tend to think about especially in the athletic space but um wow there's so much gain you know there's so much I feel like I have built this foundation of wisdom that that is amazing all in and of itself like you're saying and there's just to to stand on top of that and to sort of like spread it around and to to to, to share it is Mm -hmm. is very fulfilling particularly with younger people too yeah you know, even though society has changed a bit from when we were in our teens and 20s and so forth. But I think that um, they still kind of yearn. I think like my kids, right? My kids in their 20s, they still yeah. yearn for like, what was life back in the like, like back in the 70s and 80s, even 90s? It was different. And they kind of have this curiosity. And, you know, I have to select my moments because I'm not going to be preachy and all this and that. But you kind of get little nuggets. Of like, well, you know, this and that. And of course, music was different. And um, how people connected was different. And I think people are kind of yearning for some of that now. A little bit more of that, that human-to-human connectivity. Which again, is really an emphasis of, of the Jambar company. Um, in fact, we, if you mention to your listeners, we are going to have a special promotion if you call our 800 number, which is actually 877-JAMBARS with a Z. Um, to order online, to order over the phone, not online, order over the phone and get uh, a discount, 20% wow. off. So you can actually talk live. And talk to somebody. <laughs> <laughs> Which is how you used to do it, right? That's how people used to order products. <laughs> yes, they did. And I still do it that way. I probably that's probably have it. I don't know. I feel better when I like talk to another person. Like, okay, is this, is this order going through? <laughs> like, what am I actually ordering? <laughs> So um, that connectivity, it's a big emphasis of what we do. That's why we're so involved with community. Yeah. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time. And, uh, thank you. Yeah. It's a pleasure. I hope your, your listeners enjoy our podcast. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with Kaiza Kiernan, also known as Kaiza Fit who was one of the go-to trainers for Michelle Obama's Let's Move campaign and now has her own Just Move platform and is a feisty AF outspoken advocate against diet culture and body shape obsession. This is a good one. So come on back next week. And until then, as always, 
Stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, and please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends, and please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Stay feisty.